Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing you energy matters in an informal setting. In today's pod, we take a look back at the key developments in UK and continental energy markets over the last quarter, as well as discussing what the issues will be in the coming months. Will the downward trend in energy demand continue? What will happen to prices? And most crucially, does everything depend on the weather? I'm Richard Sverson, and joining me today are two experts from Montel's Anapsis. A warm welcome, Paul Buckworth and Jean-Paul Harriman. Thank you. Thank you. Before we kind of take a deep dive into the report that you guys wrote about the last quarter and discuss the following months, I'd just like to, you know, two recent events have sort of highlighted or, or thrown a lot of uncertainty in, into markets. And I'd, I'd like to start off with the, the Baltic pipe incident. We don't know what's happened there. The, the gas pipe connecting Finland and Estonia suffered a massive loss of pressure. There's suspected sabotage. We don't know. But, you know, I know we, we, we can't really speculate what, what happened here. But what are the implications for, for the market here, the European gas and, and power markets, Paul? What's your, what's your initial reaction? Does this raise questions about the vulnerability of, of energy infrastructure? Indeed, yes. Yeah. I, th- I think it, it does very much highlight that. I think the, the the trends that we've seen in recent weeks and months have seen an easing, if you like, of, of the perceived pressures in the market that came about following the build-up to and the aftermath of the, the outbreak of the Ukraine war. And, the, and, and some of those pressures have, have, have eased a bit, although we have seen jitteriness in the markets and 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 spikes in market prices in response to 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 sh- short-term events but this this latest development really does i think highlight that and and bring into to kind of clear view the potential vulnerability of of, of supply to infrastructure exposure and risks such as that and, and i think that will likely feed through into to market sentiment and 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 potentially we see prices spike even without further impact on on infrastructure just the risk premium that that, that will be there it'll create its own pressures i think mm. Joppa, what's what's your view here i mean we've seen incidents at both Nord Stream and now the baltic pipe neither of which we know exactly what happened but is it more the gas infrastructure that's vulnerable or is is the sort of power infrastructure also uh, problematic here? Yes. Well, we've seen some some studies on on yeah on on the offshore industry as well. So offshore winds, of course, yeah, far away from any protection. So yeah, you would say that that has similar vulnerabilities, and it's just feeding into a little bit of the nervousness in of of, of the markets. So we're seeing a very tight supply demand balance. You can see even. Even rumors or, or or sentiments are affecting prices quite quickly. And what about the the Arab-Israeli conflict now? We've seen some horrendous incidents in in the in in Israel and in Palestine. Uh, is there risk here that there could be contagion into global oil and gas markets here, Paul? Very much so. I would have said any escalation is will, will certainly feed through into market sentiment. I do wonder. It's, it's not my area, but uh, you know, any any escalation that could draw other nations and producer nations into any sanctions regimes uh, would have likely have a, a major impact on energy supplies, gas and oil, and and feed through into electricity prices. I think. Despite 
what I said earlier about the situation of having eased in, in recent weeks and months, that there is still tightness there and, and the response to any events that we've seen is 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 quite marked and that this is just an order of magnitude more serious than, than any of those other events that we've seen over summer that have fed through into to pricing and, and supplies. John Paul, what's your what's your view? Yeah, uh, I think I mean the direct exports from Israel to the European Union are quite limited. I think, yeah, it's, but it's the political effect of it. So if indeed other, other nations get drawn into the conflicts, that may, yeah, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the Arab world is our major suppliers of, uh, of, of gas to the world. So yeah, it's a, it's a tight balance and yeah, the re- recent, recent history has shown that conflicts can get out of hand quite quickly. It's a bit of a powder keg in a way, isn't it? Okay, let's go on to the the the, the, the quarterly reports that that both of you authored um, for Anapsis. In Q three, we saw what happened to prices, John Paul, on on the on in continental Europe. What were the trends here? Yeah, we've seen quite quite a relaxation on 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 prices. So we've seen a drop. Yeah, partly because of the dropping gas prices. Also, the the gas storages are quite full. The hydro situation is 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 quite comfortable, so you're seeing a lot of a lot lower prices, especially compared to last year, but also compared to the previous quarter. And we're, yeah, it's also produced some uh, some extreme events in terms of negative prices. So the Netherlands is 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 a clear example with uh, with a lot of negative prices due to the due to the immense solar development. But we've also seen negative prices in Scandinavia, which is quite interesting because that used to be in a region that was quite well safeguarded from negative prices. So Finland is the is the the, the biggest example where the the nuclear power plant basically yeah increased the base load level and and yeah that sort of results in in some surplus situations. But also the prices of geos have have increased quite considerably, which means that even if you run at zero at the price of zero you can still make money on on your uh, guarantees of origin so yeah interesting interesting developments mm. and do you expect these sort of trends to, to continue in in the coming months as well uh, i know you know that we're entering the darker months as it were so solar shouldn't have too much of an impact but i'm sure it still have some uh, some consequences yeah well we're, we're going to see uh, higher prices than than this quarter of course because yeah it's winter and demand is higher but yes, uh, the wind is coming back, so we're we're going to see surpluses uh, that last a bit longer. And I think, if looking at Scandinavia, so in in the past we used to see flows from Scandinavia to the continent basically non-stop. Over the summer, we've seen reversal of it, reversal of interconnectors quite frequently. I think that's a trend we're definitely going to keep seeing. And and in the UK, Paul, what what were the the major sort of trends in 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 the last quarter? Very much downward trend on pricing, similar to what John Paul has described in continental Europe. That's driven by the linkage between gas and electricity prices, albeit the, 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 there's a general downward trend, well, through the whole year, really, but that's certainly continued through Q3, with the exception of some blips in July, which I think were related to prolonged or longer than expected outages in some of the gas fields. I think Nyhammer in Norway was the one I recall. And then in late August, early September, 
there was prospect of an Australian LNG strike disrupting supplies, and that sent the worldwide uh, gas prices and LNG prices upwards uh, for a, a, a period, uh, and that that fed through into w- what we saw in electricity prices. Perhaps lesser extent of negative pricing in in GB less less pronounced we saw intervals in early july which i think was a windy period and then in in early to mid september where we saw another very windy period so there's high level of renewable output coupled with the low levels of demand that we we see at this time of year so it creating an excess of supply uh, and that fed through into negative prices in the day ahead market and the, those periods in the balancing mechanism we probably see negative prices to a greater extent but uh, and and those are localized and reflect transmission constraints so don't filter through into the the day ahead pricing and in, in quite the same way well albeit the customer ultimately pays the cost of those in their bills absolutely i mean what, what do you expect in the coming months then paul as, as john paul has said you know there's, there's more demand and the, the you know it's but Potentially, that could be counterbalanced by more wind. Yes, yeah, indeed, demand will pick up as we move into the winter, so that that seasonal pattern will will reestablish. I mean, in Q three, one of one of the the, the uh, in fact, a lot of recent quarters, we, we've seen very low levels of demand against historical norms, and that that reflects a number of things. I think. Oh, there's this price sensitivity to the, to the high prices, probably being the, the main one, but also some growth in in renewable, so embedded renewable generation and, and even behind the meter, renewable generation. So that that reduces the apparent demand at transmission level. So so that that trend is is still there. In terms of the growth of renewables, we saw high levels of renewable output in Q3. I think it was a, the highest Q3 we've, we've seen. And looking back at historical quarters, the same quarter historically, and that reflects the, the underlying upward trend in, in installed capacity. Yeah, going into the winter, obviously solar will decline. That, that has very seasonal output. Wind, wind tends to be less seasonal but there is there it is higher in winter generally than summer but the, the differential between summer and winter is is obviously far less rounds than than for solar but as, as you mentioned as well paul you know the with the australian strike and how jittery the market was or how prices spiked not just in the uk and europe but across the world the market is still very nervous as as what's as what was being reflected in in the price of gas this week on the continent and in the UK, given the situation in the Baltic pipe and the questions around infrastructure, as well as the Arab-Israeli conflict. So we can expect maybe more, you know, more of the same kind of volatility going forward? I think so, yeah. Potentially accentuated because of the winter, you know, increases in demand and, and the, 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 there's less headroom, if you like, for to accommodate any, any shocks in, in the supply-demand balance. So I think through the summer, there's certainly jitteriness there, despite the fact that storage was being f- filled and, and and at high levels, and 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 you know whatever short-term disruptions there might have been, the longer-term trend was that 
storage would be filled by the end of the summer and despite that there's still occasional jitteriness i think going into the winter yeah the, the anything that impacts that balance and and eats into any headroom that might be there will will feed through into the market and 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 we'll 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 see quite sharp reactions to to that uh, to any any such events uh, i would imagine absolutely john paul we talked a little bit about demand could what did you what have we seen in in q3 and you know there's a lot of talk about demand destruction you know anything from on on the industrial side also households uh what what happened in q3 and what can we expect over the coming i mean months is any of that you know the the industrial demand going to return i don't think any that's going to return on the short term so we've seen demand destruction in in the chemical industry, in the steel industry, in the paper industry. Some of that is shifting production to other continents. So, yeah, if prices drop down low enough, that that might come back. But there's also some permanent permanent closures that, that have happened. So I think with demand now being at, at similar levels than during, during COVID, yeah, we're not going to see this come back to the old level uh, anytime soon. Of course, next to demand destruction, there's also demand creation slowly starting to pick up with power to X technologies and and people starting to develop yeah, electrolyzers and hydrogen generation sites. But yeah, that's a, it's a question mark how fast that's going to going to come and how how big of an impact that's going to have. It's definitely not going to have a major impact this winter. Mm. And maybe next year, do you think? The, 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 the power to X being power to, to hydrogen generation, isn't it? Power to hydrogen production. Power to hydrogen, power to ammonia, yeah. That's, so it, those, those assets don't take too long to build, but the permitting process can be quite, quite lengthy. So it's, it's a bit of a question mark how fast it's going to go. So maybe something for later this decade rather than the next coming years. Yeah, absolutely. Paul, what's the situation in the UK? I, I think that's very similar. I mean, we've seen, you know, industrial demand decline in response to high prices and, and, and possibly also domestic demand. And e- even demand flexibility schemes introduced to, to manage demand at, at system peaks. Yeah, I, I don't expect that to... to, to come back at, at at any any great rate really i think that will be a slow recovery process and demand creation that john paul mentioned is any of that happening in a similar way in the uk yes yeah the, there's various schemes for electrolysis and hydrogen production that that we're aware of uh, and also electrification of heating is at a at, at, at commercial and industrial level uh, we're seeing seeing potential development of that and also at the domestic level i guess you know the, the government is is has very much been pushing heat pumps as a solution so that that's definitely the direction of travel and um, the extent to which we see it in the in the immediate near term is is probably limited uh, but it, it it will start to to happen mm. there's been obviously some rollback we discussed this in a previous podcast um rollback from the present government as well and which maybe could hit demand in the coming year or two would you would you say that would that would that be too 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 hard to to make that judgment call there <laughs> yeah I, 
I'm sure it will. I'm, I'm not sure what the, the, the latest position on heat pumps is, but certainly on electric cars, the, the mandate's been pushed back from 2030 to 35. I, I think there's probably a similar dif- delay in, in, in the heat pump targets. So, and that'll inevitably, I, I would think, feed through into the customer's appetite for these things if there's that uncertainty there or that, uh, you know, a lack of mandate for it, then, then, then. I, I, I think we'll see a slower take-up. Absolutely. Uh, John Paul, turning to ele- electricity generation, what, what were the main trends you saw in the last quarter? I know the big story was solar in the Netherlands, wasn't it? Um, yes. Yeah, solar in the Netherlands produced uh, a minus 500 price at some point. Uh, we've, we've seen many second-round auctions in the day ahead uh, market until the rules were changed. So surprisingly... We didn't get to a situation where the the minimum price on the on the day ahead market changed. That was there was a, there were a few near misses there, so that was definitely an interesting an interesting event on on the market with such a small country having such a large effect on basically the whole country the continent. So Germany is 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 also seeing this this huge solar development. We're seeing Hungary starting to catch on. We're seeing. Poland, but even the Scandinavian countries starting to develop quite a lot of solar. So, yeah, that is that is a trend that is ongoing and will continue to go for a while because yeah, it's just sort of an easy thing to do. If you if you're a household, put solar panels on your roof, that reduces your energy bill. At least it does if you're not in the Netherlands and you don't have a market index based contract on an hourly level because then. Sunday mornings can get quite expensive. We've we've actually seen people asking on Twitter, if you live in the neighbourhood, please come charge your car on Sunday morning because otherwise I have to pay. So yeah, quite quite interesting developments. But yes, so increasing renewables is is the main headline. We've seen some some closures of capacity nuclear in Belgium and Germany, but despite those closures. We've seen lower gas and coal and lignite production across Europe. So, yeah, the the extra, the extra renewables are offsetting the the closures of the nukes, which is which is interesting. It also means that there's a lot of slack in the system. Uh, so, if we get a harsh winter, there's there's enough gas and coal capacity to run fill the gaps. So, there's definitely not or at least not looking like it right now, a security of supply issue. Obviously, the, the boost to the market was with increased availability of the French nuclear fleet as well. Absolutely, yeah. That that was the thing I was I almost forgot. So the French have gotten their act together and basically improved the availability of, of nuclear assets by about 35%. They're still not at the historic average levels, but they're a lot better, and uh, the assets are coming back slowly for the winter as well so that's looking a lot less dim than last year perfect and so the story would be really increased renewables production less fossil fuel uh, on the yes. continent yeah and what, what what's in and in, in gb paul very similar yes yeah we saw very high levels of renewable output in q3 coupled with lower demand and that's really squeezed the the re- requirement for gas fired generation so the, the 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 figures for ccgt output look, look really quite low by historical standards 
I think sort of 20 terawatt hours for the quarter, whereas, you know, 25 terawatt hours for Q3 is, is a, a typical figure for previous years. For gas-fired gas yeah. yeah, yeah. So that that certainly reduced the, the, the requirement for gas-fired plants. Interconnector. So we've, in all quarters this year, GB has been a, an importer of electricity again after, I think, the three quarters where we were last year, where we, it's a combination of the, the French nuclear outages and the, the, the long drought last year that the GB was in the unusual position of being an exporter of electricity. Actually, the other factor in that was that because of the LNG facilities in, in GB, we were able to import gas, uh, convert that into electricity and export the electricity to, to the European markets as a, and, and, and displace the requirement for gas-fired generation in, in Europe, which which was more affected by the the Ukraine war and, and and didn't have the same LNG capacity. Yeah, and I think we saw that a, a consequence of that last year was the to push up the price of CO two allowances in the UK relative to the European scheme, uh, and we now seem to be seeing the converse of that. So the differential's gone the other way now, and uh, in recent weeks and months, that's that's now at a discount to the European scheme. Albeit we do have the, the the kind of unilaterally imposed CPS scheme that that applies an additional carbon charge. What what's that an abbreviation for? For those who aren't uh, in the sorry, notebook? that's the carbon price support. It's a, okay. It's the climate change levy carbon price support mm-hmm. tariff. So it's a fixed tariff per megawatt hour of input fuel. On inputs from Norway up as well, Paul, in in Q three. Yes. Yeah. There's been consistent imports uh, from Norway I think through for, for pretty much the whole year yeah there have been a few occasions where, where it's gone the other way but they're very isolated that's that's a contrast to, to last year where we did see more along periods of exports from, from GB into Norway which I think was a consequence of the drought that we saw through through the summer months last year uh, absolutely. And what, what what are your expectations then for the coming months in terms of generation generation in the UK? Is it going to is gas going to come back? I mean, what's you know you expecting potentially more wind, but solar's not going to have have that much of a, an impact. So, what are going to be the main generating facilities going forward? Yeah, solar will decline. Wind should should be there, but. The, the un- underlying seasonal increase in demand will, will, will push demand up and it will be gas that, that would fill the gap. Excellent, Paul. And just to sort of round off, I think, you know, a lot depends, as I said in the intro, on, on temperatures going forward here. What, what are you, what, what's the winter looking like at the moment, Jean-Paul? I know it's a bit hard to say and you're not a meteorologist, but what are, what are your kind of expectations here? So, I mean... All the all the building blocks were were nicely in place for a very moderate winter in terms of of energy prices. So the gas gas storages were were nicely filled. The hydro situation is is uh, better than average. So so that looked all pretty pretty comfortable. I mean, even even a, a harsh winter would not really put us in any 
any problems apart from sentiment, maybe. But yes, we're seeing now quite a lot of political or geopolitical movements, which which just introduces additional additional uncertainty in the market, which means that even if the fundamentals are right, we may still see yeah pressure on upward pressure on prices. So that risk, I think, is is considerable. I think we're definitely going to see volatility based on on changing information. And I do think think there are, yeah there are parties that have a benefit in having or creating uncertainty. So yeah, it's, there's there's all kinds of things happening at the same time. But fundamentally, it looks all very moderate for for the winter. The situation supply situation would be very good if we if there wouldn't wouldn't be these geopolitical pressures. And Paul, finally, you know. Would you agree with Jean-Paul here that geopolitics trumps fundamentals going forward? Yes, I think so. Yeah, the, whatever the fundamentals are, and if the, if the fundamentals are robust, the geopolitics has the, has the, the capability to, to change those fundamentally in a very short space of time and just fundamentally change everybody's assumptions as to, as to, as to market stability and security. Yeah. And 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 in, importantly, the, the sentiment around that, and the and the risk premiums that need to be factored into to market trading activity. Absolutely. So, we'll <laughs> we'll see what what the next few weeks bring. It's it's certainly looking on un, very uncertain at the moment. But in the meantime, gentlemen, thank you very much for being guests on the Montel Weekly Podcast. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you.